All right, it's the Bon Appetit Foodcast. I'm Adam Rappaport. On today's show, Las Vegas. We were out there a few weeks ago. Andrew Knowlton and I were supposed to interview Wolfgang Puck in celebration of Spago's 25 years in Vegas. But like five minutes before the interview started, one of his assistants came in and said, Wolfgang had to fly back to Los Angeles for a family emergency. I don't know what happened. I hope everything's fine. But we were sort of left hanging out there like, uh, what do we do now? So I interviewed Andrew about the 30 plus years he's been going to Vegas. And then Carla Lolly Music, she sits down with the two hot tamales, uh, Susan Feniger and Mary Sue Milliken, to talk about their nearly 40 years together, all in honor of our Vegas Uncorked Food Festival by Bon Appetit, which is in year number 11. This episode is presented by Chase Sapphire Reserve. Travel, dine, and enjoy, and get rewarded for it. Travel is changing. Carry the only card designed to stay ahead. That's Chase Sapphire Reserve. All right, let's do this thing. Andrew, first time you ever came to Vegas. The first time I ever came to Las Vegas was in 1984. I was 10 years old. My father was a, I wouldn't say he was a gambler, uh, but he liked to play blackjack. And, he, and I remember as a kid going into his office and there'd be tons of blackjack books because he would like study blackjacks. And I knew we were going to Vegas because he would always start pulling them down off the shelf and like reading the strategy and all yeah. that. We came out, the three of us, my mom, myself, and my father, and we always stayed at one of two places. We stayed at Bally's, which was like, that was the place oh, to yeah. stay. But then I think when my dad discovered Caesar's Palace, that was the place. And it's much smaller footprint than it is now. I think it was just the main kind of entrance, and then it had one tower. It wasn't even a tower, really. It was just four or five floors. There was none of the Augustus Tower or anything else going on. Yeah, it's massive now. When you see it from afar, yeah, you think of it as one hotel, but it's basically like four hotels right. in one right it's, now. It's like city blocks, and before it was just like a little corner. Um, and there was only three or four restaurants that I remember there. There was Cleopatra's Barge, which is still at Caesar's Palace. <laughs> you, would, you would think, like, maybe the name Cleopatra's Barge, we should rebrand that. <laughs> so, but that, is, that, is that the one next to Nobu now? Where you yes, see, well, the it's, boat. It's, the boat comes yeah. out onto the, into the walkway. Yeah. And it used to be a place where my parents would go dancing, like, wow. late into the evening. And, I, and they used to... And I love my parents, and they were good parents. <laughs> Disclaimer. <laughs> but I vividly remember that they would say, we're going to the barge, and they would take me. My mom would <laughs> Wait, take me. Did they, did they literally say, uh, Andrew, we're going to the barge? Well, I, they would say, we're going to the boat place, because okay. I loved the boat place. And it's kind of like a jazz bar Yeah, sorta. I think it used to be. I and mean, this was in the 80s, so yeah. there was probably some ABBA going on. It was probably disco back yeah. in the day. But I couldn't go because everything was 21. Yeah. And we would have to like scurry across the casino floor and my mom would probably stop and play slots for a minute and then the security guard would come through and be like, Miss, you can't have your kid on the casino floor. So would they just leave you in the room and you'd order room service or what? So they would, my mom would take me back to the room and would say, if you have any problems, just call the front desk and tell them that your parents are at Cleopatra's <laughs> <Your> Barge. <laughs> 
Can you imagine doing that well, today? Is, well, I can because, listen, I'm a few years older than you, and like I never wore a seatbelt growing up. I never wore a helmet right. on a bike. I mean, the notion of wearing a helmet on a bicycle, like, what? Like, right. you know, uh, parenting was very different back then. Just watch, uh, just watch Bad News Bears when Walter Matthau is driving around with nine kids in his car <laughs> and an open, open beer with whiskey in the beer, you know? So w- would you guys go out to dinner beforehand? Before they just deposited you? Well, I think back then there wasn't, you know, Spago uh, had opened at the forum shops. Had just opened. That, that was not no. something you came to Las Vegas to do. You came to to gamble. Yes. And you came to see, like, boxing matches, you yeah. know, fights. That and was, a show. And a show. You would Ma- see Wayne Newton, maybe. You'd see Wayne Newton. I don't remember ever going to any show like that. I remember going to buffets. I remember going to the Bally's Buffet and thinking it was the greatest place in the world. They had coconut shrimp. And I would just load my plate with coconut shrimp. That was exotic, man. Coconut shrimp. I still will load my plate with coconut <laughs> shrimp. With the um, sweet and sour sauce oh, yeah. on the side. So good. But the my most fond memory um, of Las Vegas was maybe a couple years afterwards. I think maybe my father was coming out here for uh, conventions. So I remember there was this, it's still here, but I'm, I'm not sure it's it retains its glory, but it's called Circus Circus. Oh, yes. yes. As featured in, which James Bond film? Was it Diamonds Are Forever or... Was it in Diamonds Are Forever? Or Spy Who Loved Me. I think Diamonds Are Forever. So Circus Circus was, it was a circus. And it was a circus, like, theme. And they had a, they had a really good steakhouse um, called The Steakhouse. And it's legendary. Am I mistaken in saying that there were, like, performers at oh, Circus yes, Circus? Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, they were all walking around. It was, like, it was the best place. But they had this arcade... And this is like the height of arcadeness. This is like Miss Pac-Man era. Yeah. So my mom would would you know back in Atlanta where I'm from, every Saturday like I would get dropped off at Perimeter Mall and I would take whatever money I had and I would play Galaga and Centipede and Donkey Kong for like eight hours and yeah. then they would come pick us up. Um, but Circus Circus had this arcade and it was like it was like you died and gone to arcade heaven. I mean, as far, they had this game called Dragon Slayer. Do you ever remember? Oh, yeah. yeah it was yeah. like the first kind of point of view uh, video game. Anyway, so I remember my mom taking me into the arcade, giving me $50 in quarters. Shut up. Rolled quarters. No, she'd not give you $50. She did. She did. And they left. <laughs> Leave my 10-year-old They left. In a they casino. left. But then I met other kids there whose parents had done the same thing. (laughs) And I didn't even know. Like, my mom just said, don't leave the arcade. And I didn't leave. It was 1985, 86, you know? Didn't matter. So I remember that was the greatest. That was probably the greatest day of my life. My first trip to Vegas, so I came in that next wave um, in 1997, I want to say. Yeah, 97, 98. When I was at Time Out in New York. And Bellagio had just opened. Okay. And our mutual friend Elizabeth Blau was head of restaurant development there. And she was the one who brought in Le Cirque and Jean Georges mm-hmm. to open his steakhouse. And it was the first sort of kind of real concerted wave of high dining. You know, Spago had opened back in the day, right. and then Jean Louis Paladin at, a place, at yeah. Rio, but it was kind of like off on its own right. little thing. And Steve Wynn was the first guy to really promote, you know. That was a game changer. A game changer. Yeah. And and I came out, so I kind of drummed up some uh, reason for a press trip uh, to go do an article. And so uh, Adam Sachs, our mutual friend, editor Sever, and Brett Martin, the fine writer, uh, all piled into a room together, came out here for three days. Um, and as, yeah, as a 24-year-old, or I guess, no, maybe I was 27, I don't know. Um, it was just like, that first trip to Vegas, you're like, wow, I can't believe this place actually exists. 
That, was, it, that was the first time you'd ever been? Yeah, there? the first time yeah. I'd ever been. And this, and, and what's interesting, like I said, Bellagio sort of started the new wave of Vegas. You know, it was the Venetian and Palazzo did not exist. Did not you know, exist. Hard Rock was just opening. That was a lot of fun as a youngster. Um, but, you know, now it's it's fascinating. You know, everyone from Gordon Ramsay to Bobby Flay to Nobu. Giada. Giada. They're all, you have to, you know, and Guy Savoie and all the, the French mission, Joël Robuchon. It was it was interesting getting in that 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 sort of ground floor of what Vegas is now. And you you pointed out about how you used to come to Vegas to gamble. And and I think if you know if you look at statistics, the vast majority of the revenue for these resort casinos was from gaming. Absolutely. And yeah. now that scale is tipped. And now it's entertainment and dining that's sort of dr- the driving force. I heard it was seventy percent now. Seventy percent comes from the entertainment aspect, whether that's restaurants or going to shows or whatever. Or clubs with the DJs, and that's just massive business, right? Much now. bigger than Cleopatra's barge. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so we're in this new Vegas, which, which you know, we come here every year for our Vegas Uncorked Festival, and then before that, which is now six years straight for me. Before that, when I was at GQ, I would come for Magic, which is a men's apparel show. Uh, twice a year, which is kind of insane, both summer and winter. So you definitely sort of get in a rhythm. In terms of let, let's let's talk some of your strategy for eating well and surviving in Vegas. What's your what's your breakfast routine? Are you a room service guy? Well, now that they have juice in in Vegas, at Finally. least you feel you can like go and get a, like a nice. I'm, I'm not trying to act like I'm some healthy, but man, after a rough night. You need a you need a juice. Right now we're staying at Venetian, but here at Caesars, you now start seeing juice press in these juiceries. And honestly, I, I was surprised it took this long for those places to open in Vegas, given Absolutely. given Vegas's proximity to LA and the LA crowd and that sort of morning after refresher. Right. And just and just healthy eating in general. Like there's yeah. options now. I don't I'm not a huge breakfast person in general. I'm not a room service person. I know you are, Adam. But for somebody, you 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 complain all the time about how nobody gets room service right, but then you always get it. Which I don't yeah, understand. it's like that thing of like going out into the world before you've had your coffee. It's just nice, although it is funny. Like yesterday, I was like, can I get a pot of coffee and then some toast with a side of avocado and a club soda? And it's $46. And you're like, <laughs> wow, okay. Um, do I tip on this? Does that what is that gratuity included me? Does that go to you? And then there's there's gratuity included, and then there's the service charge. You're right. like, wait, what? Like, but, but what year do you think you could call room service and get avocado test? Oh, is, is that a I recent was, thing, or yeah, I think so. And I said, you know, I get a side of so a couple of pieces of like multi-grain toast and a side of avocado. And I will say the avocado was excellent, perfectly ripe, fanned out really nicely. And the and I got some lime with the club soda. So then I did the little lime squeeze with some salt and chopped it up. And oh, it was a it was a good breakfast. And and then I went to the gym. And like I said, I think that's an important thing in Vegas, as as indulgent as you can be. Um, I I always make sure I go to the gym every day. Absolutely, just to keep the blood. Going. I think it's the same thing when I'm traveling you know, around the country to, to find the best restaurants for our September restaurant issue, I have to be able to, I, I need that energy and I need, I'm gonna, all I'm going to be doing is eating. So you need to do that, whether it's in Vegas or on the road, you've got to like get your exercise in because it'll make you feel so much better. But my game plan for lunch, kind of breakfast lunch, is I'm a huge proponent of poolside eating. I think going to the pool Getting a club sandwich, getting a quesadilla, getting a frozen drink that you would never order anywhere else, yes, except in Vegas. That's that's my if if I come to Vegas and I don't do that, I haven't done it right. Although I will say this, so yeah, as you you know me, anytime I travel at a hotel, I have to get the club sandwich religiously. I have an issue with the one on offer yesterday. My feeling of a club a club I I don't know like I think a club sandwich should be a turkey club sandwich. They put ham 
and Swiss cheese with the turkey and bacon. And I found that, why do you need ham with bacon? And then also, why do you put a cheese on a turkey? Have you, have you ever, because you, you complain a lot about club sandwiches. Yeah. Have you ever had a good club sandwich? I've had many good club oh, sandwiches. Okay. I think, you know, I think the better club sandwiches are often like at diners and such. Uh, let's talk steakhouses. I think when a lot of people come to Vegas, they're like, oh, I got to at least go to a steakhouse one yeah. night. Uh, do, do you have any favorites or preferences? Well, I think of the old school ones, I think we're in agreement that I love Golden Steer. It's a, a Which is off strip. Off strip. It's a classic. I think it's been around since the 40s. Uh, we've written about it in Bonavitie a few times. It's just, it's whatever you conjure as your old school steakhouse, that's what it is. Yeah. It's got tableside Caesar salad. Tableside flambe desserts. Flambe, you can get like, you know, whatever. You can get prime rib, you can get a skirt steak or a strip steak. Yeah, and they've got these great tufted black leather banquettes. Right, and Wait. the waiters have been there since 1944 yeah. or something. And it's interesting, it's also one of those places, there's so many places in Vegas that claim to have been Rat Pack hangouts, but like, you know, Frank and Dino and those guys they actually did go to the, uh, the Cedar. And also great bar scene there also, or at least a great bar. And the neon, the neon yeah. on outside is amazing. Um, well. So I would highly recommend that. I, I think On Strip, uh, we're both a fan of Wolfgang Puck's Cut Absolutely. restaurant. Um, you know, not not cheap. <laughs> um, no, well, not, not steakhouses in Las Vegas. You don't come here to nickel and dime when you go to a steakhouse. But I think the, of the new ones, I think cut, I think strip steak is good. That's at MGM. Um, I think what's interesting about cut, and you see that, it was one of the first steakhouses to do this, which you see a lot more of now, where they break down each steak by how many days it's been aged, what ranch it came from. What it's been fed. Yeah, and you can get, yeah, whether it's grass or grain, do you want 32, do you want 48J, um, you know, and prices that are commensurate to right. the if you want, If you want two ounces of Wagyu yes. Japanese beef, you can get it here, and it'll cost you $250 <laughs> an ounce. They will, they will facilitate you. But that's another strategy I think that's important to point out is, if you come to Las Vegas a lot, I think you know, move around to the different resorts and, and stay there. Because waiting in taxi lines here is no fun. No. So I think there's, every resort has great restaurants. Like, stay at Caesars, stay at the Palazzo, stay at Cosmopolitan, and just explore those restaurants. Well, it's fascinating, I think, you know, just the quality of restaurants. I mean, you're, you're at Cosmopolitan now. Momofuku just opened there. Uh, Jose Andres, we had dinner at Haleo the other night with our writer friend, Jason Gay. Uh, he has his Sheena Polano. Is that his other one there? Yeah. 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 Uh, Jose does. Um, you know, at Aria, at Aria, they've got Carbone now. Um, you know, just walking through Caesar, just the number of, you know, from Nobu on down. Uh, it's it's kind of incredible the number of quality re restaurant options right. you have here. Right. Uh, and, and, you know, it used, you know, 15 years ago was such a new thing. And they and all the big name chefs were coming here. And now I think they've settled into this groove where the consistency is there. Like, yeah. you... you very rarely do you have just a bad meal in Las Vegas now. Yeah. Because there's so many, we complain in New York and LA about how there's just not a lot of talent out there for chefs. Like they can't fill their restaurants. Here, these are professionals. These are lifelong restaurant people who are, yeah, this is what they do. They know how to execute. Yeah. And, and it's also nice about Vegas, you can get into places. Um, yes, you can. Uh, there, there are so many restaurants and the restaurants are of a much bigger size than in most cities. Um, so you have options, you have accessibility. Uh, Let's talk late night. Um, mm. In-N-Out Burger just opened on the strip here at the link. With the link. Uh, there had been an In-N-Out off strip with a ginormous sign. Do you ever go to In-N-Out when you're in Vegas? I don't. I'm, I'm, I'm not to be a, I'm not an In-N-Out guy. What? No, I'm not. I, I'm more of a, I'm an East Coast guy. I think the bun is an inferior product. Wow. And I think when you have to ask a place to do your fries well done, like that's the secret order. 
I don't, I don't buy it. I, I'm just not, I, I, I will eat it, but it, I, it's not something, give me Waffle House, give me Chick-fil-A, give me Shake Shack. Okay, well, first of all, you're wrong. Second of all, listen, the Double Double is unimpeachable as a burger. I will give you the fries. I mean, years ago, I remember waking up at a, after a really rough night, and we went to In-N-Out, and like, so this must have been like noon by the time we got up, waited in line, it was like a 45-minute wait. That was the best bite of food I might have ever had. In my that life. saved your life. Yeah, I mean, like that that hungover morning, waiting for that double double and the giant coke, and you're just like, oh my god. But that, but thank see, you, America. That's not good judgment for something tasting good when you're hungover and all you want. No, is but it was better than salt. like the random like going to the buffet or whatever. It was. It's like, mm. listen, you 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 like you, crab legs. You you know what you're reacting to? You're reacting to all the love that In and Out gets. No, you, no, no. You still I, enjoy no, it. I, I I will give you that. I did not grow up with In and Out. There's no sentimental you know, feelings for that place. I have no longing for it. It's fine. It's fine. It's a decent burger. Let's move on. Um, let's move on. Uh, who are you more excited for? The Golden Knights or the Las, uh, Las Vegas Raiders? I, I cannot support the Las Vegas Raiders. Really? I cannot get behind the move uh, of the Raiders to Las Vegas. So I will support the, I will support the hockey team, which is still weird too. Though. The Golden Knights. Um, all right, before we let you go, Speaking of moves, a couple more off-strip moves. If you're coming to Vegas uh, and, and you're staying at a fun resort property, you're hanging out at the pool, you're dining at the restaurants, but you want to get off-strip, a couple of restaurants you might recommend. So the old school one that everyone talks about is Lotus of Siam, which is this Thai restaurant that you, you can name how hot you want your food, basically one through ten. And they have amazing Riesling list, uh, wine list. Um, that's kind of the OG but now on this on this strip of road, it's just ten minutes from the strip called Spring Mountain. Mm -hmm. There is it's it's basically this international row of restaurants. You have amazing. You have Raku, which is this Japanese restaurant. Went there with you, and that's and you get a lot more of the kind of the grilled izakaya, yeah. teppanaki type stuff. And then there's a, numerous uh, sushi places over there. There's there's good pho here. There's Korean food. I just think if if you, if you come to Vegas, give yourself one night to get off the strip. This is the food that a lot of the people who work in the resorts and the communities around here, and and you very rarely do you get local kind of vibes, and you get that out on Spring Mountain. Yeah, and you can check out some of our recommendations on the Bon Appetit City Guide, right? That's right. We Las have Vegas. a city guide for Las Vegas and bonappetit.com. Check that out. Uh, well, Angie Dalton, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Can I just apologize to my parents again? Sorry. <laughs> See ya. All right, this episode is presented by Chase Sapphire Reserve. Travel, dine, enjoy, and get rewarded for it. Travel is changing. Carry the only card designed to stay ahead. That's Chase Sapphire Reserve. All right, that was Andrew Knowlton to me. And now here is Carla Lolly Music with Susan Feniger and Mary Sue Milliken. All right, well, I can't actually believe that I'm sitting across the table from the two of you. I'm here with Mary Sue Milliken and Susan Feniger, also known as the Two Hot Tamales. And I just have to say that when you guys first had your show on the Food Network, which was a very new thing, I was a student at the French Culinary Institute going to school to, you know, become a line cook, and I worshipped you. Oh. And I have to say also that show, this is, it's hard for people now to remember or understand 
But that was a show that was like on television at a certain time that you had to turn the TV on to be able to watch it. You know, there was no TiVo, DVR, there was no like iTunes. It was like, get your butt in the chair and turn on the TV. And I just looked forward to it so much. I thought you guys were the best. All of our fans were insomniacs because it played a lot in the middle of the night. <laughs> Is that right? Really. And it, don't talk about how long ago because that, yeah, before TiVo and that, that really Makes us, us feel I know. Well, like I was there, guys. <laughs> like, I was just sort of starting out in the food world and there were still very few women chefs. There were not a lot of women on TV. And also right. Food Network back then, it was less about competition and more about cooking instruction. Oh, yeah. It was nothing about, at that point, it was nothing about competition. It was really, it was really about education. About I loved learning the ethos and in the beginning yeah. of Me Food too. Network because they really, they said they were never going to rerun any shows. It was going to, it was like fresh food in your refrigerator. They didn't want to have, it, you know, once it aired, oh. they didn't want to re-air it. Interesting. It was, a, it was, that was the first, that was the guy who created it, Reese Schoenfeld. Yep. That and, was his idea. And when we were doing, back then, we were doing six shows a day, five days a week. Stop. That and was, it was yeah. filming where? In, in New York. In New York. On 6th Avenue. And had you had a lot of television broadcast experience before that? We'd had, no, we'd had some. No, 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 we'd had some. We had already done Julia. We had done cooking. Yeah, but we'd that, done cooking with Master Chefs with Julia and Chefs of the West. and Chefs of the West. Boy, you watched. That was the first one we ever did. Yeah. And when I see myself on that, I really think, oh, my gosh. I not was so lot. nervous. Yeah. We hadn't done a lot, but we had done a little bit. Yeah. But, but not, that not was that. like a huge education, I would imagine, in and just, you know, coming up through the years of that evolution, too. Yeah. And it quick. was really, they turned, I was saying this, that our producer of the show, um, she lived in New York. She had taken her kitchen out of her apartment and she smoked cigarettes and drank Coke. And she was about <laughs> 85 pounds. Wow. <laughs> but she was adorable. She did, was you turn, did you turn her into a convert or that was? <laughs> I don't think I, so. I, I like to think we did, but uh, yeah. I'm not sure. No, but it was, it was a different time of Food Network. But the shows were definitely, it was about teaching people. Totally. 100%. Yeah. I used to watch Sarah Moulton too. Right. And she would, it was literally half an hour. It was live in real time. And she pushed through. Yeah, there was no Jamie magic. Yep, totally. Was, we all had this, really the same exact set. So they would change it for Bobby at like a different color, a different color for us, a different color for Emerald. But every single other thing of the set was exactly the same. Yeah. Mario, you know, I'd come in and I'd be like, oh, God, there's a map of Italy there. Oh. You know, he's not going to do the show today. It's me and Susan. Uh, that's so funny. <laughs> yeah, but you guys have been famous for. Forever. I mean, I, it was really like thinking about it. You've been famous longer than Madonna, I think. <laughs> uh, no, but I do remember, <laughs> you know, it's funny. We When we opened City Restaurant in mm -hmm. 1985, it, we'd ha already had our other little cafe for four years, and Bon Appetit did a huge story about us. And literally, we both looked so tired. But the article's so great. And I remember when they came in and we were so tired and they took all these photos and they didn't care. Bon Appetit didn't care. They just ran the article. So sort of a real slice of life. Yeah. And then we, we got a, a, an article on the front of the LA Times Magazine shortly after that. And Madonna actually used to eat in the restaurant quite often. But I didn't even know it, I think, because we were working so hard. And I, I walked out of the front door one night and all these paparazzi took pictures. And I thought to myself, 
wow, is that just from the LA Times magazine? <laughs> <laughs> but Madonna was behind me. You're like, we made it. Yeah. <laughs> and then I, then I felt so stupid, like, oh my God. Well, that's the thing about LA sometimes is like even the people who aren't celebrities are famous for doing things for the celebrities, you know? So you have a celebrity dentist and yeah, yeah. all the celebrities it's, go to him and exciting. then he's famous too. I love it. You know, we're both from the Midwest. Yeah. I love, when I first moved out to LA, and I started working at Ma Maison. Mm. That was when Wolf was the chef mm-hmm. there. And I remember the valet guy, the guy who parked the cars there. There were two of them. They would, I would be so starstruck. I had just moved from Chicago, yeah. which is where Mary Sue and I met. Right. I would be so starstruck. He would come back and say, okay, that's Orson Welles' cars. Wow. That's Jane Fonda's cars. That's Paul Newman's cars. Of course, and I would call home that night. You know who was in? And it was just, you know, it's it's a it's an interesting Interesting yeah. thing to be in Los Angeles, especially if you're, I think, from the Midwest or yeah. if you're starstruck. It's very exciting, even still for me now when people come into the restaurant. I love it. Yeah. So. so so let's go, so let's go back to the Midwest when you guys met, because part of your what's so remarkable about your career is the partnership, I think, and that, you know, you have made it happen and you've been together as a team for such a long time, which is rare in, you know, I mean, it's almost like (laughs) you could barely expect that from family and marriages for sure. Yeah. So you were in Chicago and you were both cooking. And did you meet, you met in a restaurant? At at La Perro Okay. Which was probably, I think for both of us, we have said probably the best restaurant we ever worked in. Wow. The owner was amazing. Really? We learned a ton. The food was way ahead of its time. We learned, even there, we learned, as line cooks, we learned so much about food cost. Not mm. not so specific, but about watching cost, about using, we used to save the wrappers from the butter when we were clarifying butter, and we would use that wrapper to cover the pastry cream. Or wow. we would skim right. the chicken's fat off the chicken stock or the duck fat off the duck stock, and we would render it and purify it and make it perfect. And then we'd use, if we got an order in for chick, a duck Anything breast, poultry, we'd, use, yeah. we'd use duck fat or chicken, we'd use chicken. So, you know, it was sort of, um, for us, and for me growing up as a child of a mother who was a Depression-era baby, yeah. it kind of all made sense to me. Right. But, you know, we've our world has gone a little bit way too far off of that with the way, With wastefulness. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, totally. We used everything. Like every day at lunch, we ran a scallop dish. So this is this is now 30-something years ago, and we still remember this. Right, yeah. And we, 40 years ago. Oh, my God. We're old. <laughs> but, you know. No, we, you're not old. You're legends. Yes. Yeah. You don't get to be a legend unless you're, like, on the scene for a long time. You know what I mean? We would do this scallop <laughs> dish, and in the center was a vegetable mousse only made from whatever stems of whatever vegetables we were using. So broccoli stems, watercress stems, cauliflower stems. So it was all used, like every single Isn't that so funny how all of these old techniques, which were based on a scarcity of food, that now, you know, we go into like overconsumption and, you know, processed food. And then now I feel like everybody's coming back to this and it's all about waste and reusing and local. And it's like not a new, it's not no, new. No, no, it's old. It is. This yeah. is, these are really and old in ideas. In fact, some kinds of food, some of the most exciting and delicious kinds of food were born out of that scarcity. Like, you know, we don't have anything to eat, so make squid guts taste good. Right. <laughs> you know, that's like Figure a it out. Thing. Yeah. Uh-huh. And they did salt this cod because we're going to need it in three or four months. Yeah. 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 Um, That's amazing. So 
when you met, did you have a moment of like, this is, I think like, I just want to be your friend forever. Did you know then how much you would impact each other's lives? No, no, no. We were, I mean, we were both sort of still at the beginning of our career. Sure. I mean, or the middle of it. We'd both gone to culinary school. We both worked in restaurants. I'd come from Kansas City working for a great per- a great guy there at a French restaurant. Came to Chicago. And and it was sort of just within our career. We we were the only two women in the kitchen. I was going to ask if there were any other women. No. no. I, I was the first woman he hired. And I had to sort of lobby him for six weeks to get that job. And I, I literally cried and stamped my feet and called him every day and sent letters. And finally, he was like, are you going to sue me? And I said, no, I just want to work there. And he said, okay, come in tomorrow, 325 an hour. And you can peel the shallots. And then Susan came by couple months later, and he hired her on the spot. So oh. he obviously thought, wow, I gotta, I pay her half as much as the boys, and she works <laughs> twice as hard. I'll take another. And Sounds we great. ended up, when the chef ended up, at some point when the chef ended up going on vacation, Mary Sue and I ran the kitchen. Yeah. So, and and it was, it was a really wonderful kitchen, and we just, we both learned a ton. But I think hunt. from the minute I met Susan, I felt like, uh, I think I really, I, I just thought, I hadn't met anybody in the kitchen, mm-hmm. male or female, who had the same work ethic mm-hmm. as me, who had the same drive, the same passion, the same attention to detail. Like, you know, and I, and she taught me a lot. I taught her. I mean, we were definitely pretty quickly each other's support system. Right. For so. sure. Well, I would be, the chef was picking on me a ton. Yeah. And, you know, we it would be something like he'd tell you how to do one thing that morning and then... The next day, and you'd write it down in your notebook, and next day you'd come back, and then he would yell at me for doing it that way. And I, I it, we'd take like our <laughs> afternoon break, and I'd go in the bathroom, and I'd be like, just tears, like I cannot stand it here. And Mary Sue would be, no, no, just stay. Just you got to stay. Out. Just stick it. <laughs> he was such a jerk, but we did learn an absolute ton. And the lesson in all that is that many years later, yeah. We were doing consulting for Caroline's Comedy Club in New York, mm-hmm. and he came in to interview for the job for the executive chef position. Wow! And we were involved with the hiring. We got so to hire wow. him. We did hire him, and yeah. we got to set his salary, and we got to do. It was fabulous. <laughs> oh, that is it amazing! Really did good. his jaw drop when he saw you? <laughs> I, it must have at yeah. some point. That's the fabulous thing about our world. Is yeah. I think you know. Many people know each other. Every time we get resumes in, I tell all of our managers, let us see them. Right. We probably know someone who that person worked for, for and sure. can make a call. And you get a completely different reference check from someone you know. Right. But I think you guys are also special in that the hands-on nature of how you operate in both the outward-facing and running the restaurants. I mean, we did an event with you yesterday, and Alex, who's sitting right by my side, just came from an event with you today. And you guys are—you're in it. You're, like, hands-on, face-to-face, super fans everywhere— and did that come naturally also, or is that something that, like, at the end of the day, you go home and put noise-canceling head- headphones on and, like, <laughs> close the curtains? It's like, I'm done. Well. well. <laughs> <laughs> that no, does sound kind of good. <laughs> I mean, it does. It, it For sure, it comes naturally. I think we, we both have always felt like it's the hospitality business. I remember mm-hmm. at our very first staff meeting for City Restaurant, with all of these employees. The first time we'd had a big staff. 
And I remember us saying to the staff is like, look, only thing that's important is that the customer gets what they want, that it's we don't have attitude, doesn't matter how busy we are. You have to be sweet, no attitude. And it's something that I feel like we've sort of carried through with our restaurants, managers, to the team who they work with and to our customers. It's that you respect the dishwasher as much as the director of operations. Which is really interesting because, you know, coming from my first couple jobs were in, uh, were with a French chef who had come from Le Cirque and before then in France. And there wasn't, that was non-existent. And I think the culture of restaurants in that era was much more about, you know, pay your dues, suffer, toil, cry in the walk-in, like whatever it takes. Um, And then also the guest experience was very much like this very formal experience. The cook stayed in the kitchen. You know, you, you didn't have that. So that was just something that just evolved for, for you. You wanted that, that vibe. I mean, that I'm just saying, was that, was that something you experienced in the restaurants you worked at or something that you just, you wanted to create for your own? It was a new era. You know, we left Chicago and we both went to France and worked uh, separate. I worked in Paris at a two-star restaurant, Susan in the south of France at a three-star restaurant. Then we decided uh, to come back after a year or so. And we kept in touch quite a lot. And then uh, I went to Chicago. We were both broke, and she went to L.A. But eventually we were going to open our own restaurant. And she said, come to L.A. We can do it here. And, you know, by that time, things were in, the, in our industry were just starting, starting to change. Mm-hmm. I mean, little by little. We, we had the menu on the blackboard every day at, Border, or at uh, City Cafe. But then when we opened City Restaurant— Four years later, in 85, we had a TV camera, a closed-circuit TV camera at the bar, which so showed you what we were doing in the kitchen. Oh, wow. So sometimes we would do crazy things in the kitchen, like we had a rubber duck. Oh, my goodness. And we had, you know, we'd we'd take a big salmon and we'd take it toward the camera. And if you were sitting at the bar. In the mouth. (laughs) And we also, you know, it was a time where we were exploring what our food passion was. All of our training was in French kitchens. And I think we were both very drawn to country French dishes, for sure. I mean, I think things like cassoulet. And Mm -hmm. the restaurant where we worked at Le Perroquet did a number of things like brandade and cassoulet and confit and pot-au-feu. So all of a sudden, instead of things that were like beurre blanc and that, we were really drawn to this. And And also ethnic food, you know, fell right into it, like Greek food and Italian and things that were, you know, even Thai food and Indian food. That's really when our, all of our tastes started to change when Susan took her first trip to India. Yeah, because we opened City Cafe and our menu was sort of, you know. Country French. Yeah, country French. And then I took my first trip to India and came back home and then it was like, okay, we need to do this vegetable fritter. And it we took need- Susan all day to do it. She was like peeling fenugreek <laughs> pods on cardamom. <laughs> and I was like, you know, we're going to have to find another way to do this because <laughs> our labor, we don't have enough people. That was that was in, you know, like 82. We put this vegetarian plate dish on the menu that was so time consuming. Right. Literally, it had like a dal, a curry, you it was know, like a, a tolly platter. Chutney, exactly. All these different vegetables prepared, different ways. But not all you know. Indian. Yeah. But some right. of them were maybe Mediterranean. Like a sweet and sour eggplant. Egg. Right. And then, so we started to incorporate onto the menu, like a potato, a, the potato budgie or the vegetable fritter with the minced cilantro chutney and another curry. And then Mary Sue took her first trip to Thailand. 
came back. And then we did like the Thai melon salad, the Chinese mm. sausage. So now our menu is reading confit, cassoulet, right. Thai melon, right. blah, blah, blah. So when we went to open that next, and when we went to open city restaurant, our next restaurant, we decided we should put a tandoori oven in. Neither one of us had ever worked with a tandoori oven. But you had to have one. We, we had, had to have one. And <laughs> we had to have one. That, this is the perfect picture. It would be so great if we had had video of this. We it, do. It, of the getting the tandoori, though. Yeah. Of oh, getting no, it. Not, oh, my God. It up, we yeah. got it. We borrowed a pickup truck. We went down to this hotel owned by this Indian guy in downtown L.A. He had these unfired tandoori's, like a 30 non tandoori. And so it's just clay. Right. It's el- green. Has, hasn't been fired. So it's very fragile. through right. it. And Super I was brittle. in the back of the truck holding the tandoori while Mary Sue was riding through the streets. Of because if it, it wasn't fired, so right. it would yeah, right. just and, shatter. And that, so this is now 19, what, 85. Yeah. So we're in there. We're trying to learn about how do you fire it because we had to get it passed by building and safety. Right. And so we spent like, 15 hours or 13 hours firing. We wrapped towels all around our head and our arms and everything because you have to fire it at like 1,200 degrees. For, with for a, long a long time. Mustard oil and, and a brown sugar. Wow. And, and we that, had, that's the glaze on the inside right. so the non won't yeah, stick. Won't. It was, and we played Indian music <laughs> and had incense. And we were firing. We really blessed it. We, yeah. we, all day long. And, you know, and goggles on. Oh, it my was, God. you know, 1,000 degrees. So you had to be in there like, Firing it and firing it, and we had that tandoori oven the whole time we were there, and it was cobalt blue and yellow. And so when the camera from the bar looked in, you saw this gorgeous cobalt blue and yellow tile Neat. tandoori oven. Very soon up the night before our opening party, Mary Sue and I were at the restaurant all night long trying to learn how to make. Nah, it's embarrassing nah. to think back because you know now, before people open restaurants, they actually have like. A, they have, you know, family, yep. friends and family right. services, and they do all this practice. Soft open. We were so broke. We had no money. We'd run over. We we didn't have enough money raised anyway. And then we ran, you know, six weeks later. And it's like, we need to start getting We're just like, open the doors. <laughs> we, we, don't, we don't have time the, to practice. We slept on the rubber mats, and then we woke up at like five in the morning like oh, with boy. round circles. Oh, and our first non that came out of the oven that was like dripping like this. So this was before you, now you're so closely associated with the flavors of, of Mexican cooking. Right. And would you say, you know, this is before, this is before, and it was a, this well, it is was before kind of that. A natural kind of outcropping from, from being very global really mm-hmm. and looking at food from all over the world at City and writing City Cuisine, which mm-hmm. is a, our first cookbook. And um, probably, and, and, and I think we, Loved the Mexican kitchen so much because all of our staff is Mexican, a, a huge number of them, and they would make stuff for staff meal or, you know, for a treat, we would drive to East Melrose and get Anelsi's Carnitas Tacos. And that's why we opened Border Grill on Melrose in 85 when we moved a little cafe to the bigger quarters. We were trying to decide at that time, either we were going to do a taco stand or uh-huh. a noodle house. Wow. So that was 85. Yeah. And you went... And you went taco stand. Yeah. yeah. Or I don't think the world was ready for of... our version of Momofuku. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That would have been a little yeah. too early, 85. And but. so the, it's really interesting to me that the cooking, the Mexican cooking came from the cooks in the kitchen sure. in L.A., which is Even, like such an American 
you know, story yeah. of that we're exposed through, to these other flavors without having to necessarily travel right. to eat authentic. And in L.A., too, I mean, you're spoil, spoiled for Mexican. My mm-hmm. husband's from L.A., so he always complains about you can't get a good taco in New York. It's true. Yeah. Um, but so that exposure was really through the lens of your People employees. Who, especially being women mm-hmm. in French kitchens mm-hmm. where a lot of the Hispanic guys and women were doing prep and that and we, were as women, ended up in that role. And so you'd see some, even in Chicago, you'd see some incredible staff meal being made like in 10 minutes and you'd taste it and be like, okay, you cannot get this food out. And so much fresher and more vegetable centric and more delicious and bright flavored and tangy. You know, the Mexican food I was eating in East Lansing, Michigan, when I was growing up, was, you know, Del Taco, like sure. those crispy taco things right. with a lot of orange cheese and sour cream and, you know, it looked like a cumin-y blood in the ground beef. It's probably still that way in Lansing, Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> probably. I but, don't think so. But, you know, but it was, it, it was really, I think for us, we felt like there is a cuisine here mm-hmm. that we don't know that much about. It's worth us exploring. And we took, we, we had one cook in our kitchen at City Cafe we went, we made the decision that we were going to turn it into a taqueria. We went to stay with his family in Mexico City to begin mm-hmm. and spent like four or five days with his mom going to the market, buying everything that we had no idea what it was, right. coming back to and, the house and, and cooking tasting with all these things. And, yeah. and then we traveled around, you know, Puebla Mexico. and Veracruz. And then we got to Merida. And Yucatan had a huge influence on us in the very yeah. early days. Yeah. I mean, we'd never had a fish taco. Right. And we were standing in, in uh, Valladolid, was it? Or Merida? Merida. In Merida, we were in front of this tiny little window. And I got, and there was all this amazing food. And this big guy was standing there with little tiny tortillas. We'd never even seen little tiny. I mean, they were like three like inches. Three inches, okay. And in his hand, and there's like salmon there and shrimp. And, and those those bumpy skinned Seville the, oranges. Oh, yeah. Area. Yeah. And we'd see him and he would like squeeze it on there. And then he took like the salmon with and like extra a little virgin bit of mayonnaise. Olive oil. Yeah, and peas and radishes and like this cucumber cabbage slaw. And he would put it and we would be like, Oh my God, what is that? And we stood out there for like an hour Just writing notes. And, writing. and finally he came around with tacos and two little beers. And he was like, he thought we were too poor to, oh. <laughs> to buy them. And we just kept watching. So then we went in and we thought, well, we got to spend some money. But he ended up inviting us back the next day for lunch. And when he they made were this beautiful lunch for us. And we, he didn't speak English. We right. didn't speak Spanish. I mean, we speak a little kitchen Spanish, which is like right. two nouns, unconju- right. or two verbs, I mean, mm-hmm. or with two no conjugation. Words. Right. Yeah. No, like 20 swear words. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's so, yeah, that's also, it's something that we think a lot about at the magazine as well, because we have the opportunity to work on, you know, foods from so many different cultures and places and that food becomes this like vehicle for learning and travel and exploration. So I'm curious, like um, how much you both feel indebted to some idea of an authentic Mexican cuisine, whether it's from the Yucatan or from Mexico City or wherever you are and how much you feel like you can kind of play with those flavors and make, you know, do your own thing. Well, that's definitely changed over time. Yeah. Yeah. I think in the beginning, I felt, I think we both were just sort of like, okay, we've learned something fantastic. 
you know, maybe we had to gussy it up a little bit with French technique that Mm -hmm. we were so good at, but it was basically exactly the way we found it. And we didn't make hardly any creative uh, changes. So you were basically trying to replicate the dishes you had tasted and seen and had. But I don't pretty adamant about, we want to do authentic food. We want to do what someone's grandmother or grandfather did and do it as well. Right. We don't want to just take an ingredient, put it on a piece of chicken, and have it be mixed. I still sort of feel, I still feel that way. Yeah. I still feel like there's fabulous technique and ingredient and recipes that everybody can learn from. Mm -hmm. Now we do allow a little, allow. I mean, now we accept a little bit more of sort of openness, as long as I think the ingredients are used in the right way. And we're more trained, you know. I mean, back then, we'd, we'd only been cooking for 10 years, you right. know. And now we've been cooking for, you know, many 50. decades. Right. <laughs> and I think it really, you know, with that time comes a, a certain confidence and a certain, comfort. You know, co- yeah, comfort yeah. to just play right. with the ingredients and play with the techniques and play with the ideas. And, and, and it's true, though. You know, I see a lot of young upstarts playing, and I think, oh, you should really, you might as well stick with the, the right. stuff that's tried and true until you get a little more footing. Yeah. So I mean, I think it's, you know, it's a it's a little bit of understanding the, I think, where what we gain the most from the training in French kitchens were techniques mm-hmm. and how to cook. Because those techniques are the techniques that are used in so yeah, many kitchens. Right. I know. I say this a lot. Like, there's only so many ways to cook things. Like, since maybe with the exception of sous vide, like, these are the methods, have kind right. of been the methods since the beginning of, you know, cooking and recipes being recorded. There's just, right. there's not that many ways. Right. And how to butcher. And right. what cuts of meat to use for right. how you're cooking. So all those things are really important. And I think, you know, now there's much more ability to explore ingredients. Mm-hmm. Whereas back then, you it was know, much more rigid. We, when we were in Mexico, we were seeing and learning about ingredients that you could never, right. that we just didn't even know how to explore. Then now, you know, you can go online and you can sort of understand a cuisine in a much more thorough way than, yeah. you know, I feel like there's an upside ago. and a downside to how available the information is. On the one hand, it's so amazing to be able to, we were just working on this. Um, um, it's like a samosa, but a Bengali version of a samosa that had been submitted by one of our readers. And it had this very complicated folding technique and this triangle and a cone. And it's like, it was hard to know exactly how to do it. And right. it wasn't in books. And But you can go on YouTube and look that up and then immediately watch someone in their home, you know, demonstrating this technique. That's so cool. Like, you don't have to go travel to find that. And then on the other hand, it's like the romance of finding the little taco stand in the middle of nowhere instead of, you know, pre-researching every place you're going to go to and where you have to eat and the dish you have to take a picture of. And, you know, those things are, I don't know, it takes the specialness away a little bit. Yeah, and I don't think there's any question. Going to, if you are able to go to the country and you're able to explore what it is that's happening in someone's kitchen, there is something about the surroundings, the environment, the flavors that you get, an understanding 
of a culture through their cuisine that's right. very hard to get from a recipe in a book or totally. online. Yeah. So, I mean, it I, reminds me of your French chef sort of showing you exactly how to do something face-to-face, you know, before that—and it was the same for me when I was a cook. Like, that was the oral—the oral tradition of recipe passing on was, like, alive and well in, in the kitchen. As, absolutely, you know? yeah. And now it's just things are codified. All right. I feel like I could talk to you guys forever. This is <laughs> the, the greatest. All right. So, lightning round, very straightforward. I'm going to ask you um, this or that, and it's, like, forever. Okay, it's like these are questions I'm saying, you know, it's this or that thing for the rest of your life forever. Which one are you going to choose? Okay. Okay. All right, let's start. We'll, we'll softball the first one. Oh, this is hard actually. Tomato or tomatillo? Tomato. 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 Potato chip or a Frito? Potato, Potato chip. chip. <laughs> Without a doubt. I'm Frito all the way. Oh my God. I no love one. them no so one. much. Yeah. A fried fish taco. Or ceviche? Ceviche. ceviche. <laughs> Even though you had this story about the fish taco was like the seminal moment. I don't like the fried. Yeah. We love a grilled, grilled. fish taco. Oh. Could have been. Okay, cool. Don't, don't tell harder. that to Adam Rappaport. He'll <laughs> talk your ear off about a grilled fish taco. Pork fat or olive oil? Olive oil. Forever. This is forever. Well, you know me. I always uh, agree with Susan. Okay, great. <laughs> That, and that right there, I think, is the secret to a lasting partnership. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Thank you. You guys are the best. Thank you so much. Thanks Thank for you. having us. It was a delight. The Bon Appetit Foodcast is produced by Emma Wurtzman and Carrie Polis and edited by Mitra Kaboli. Our theme music is by Valerie and the Grady's, with additional music by Nathaniel Wurtzman. We have new episodes every Wednesday, and if you want to tell us about this or any other episode, email us at bonappetitfoodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.